Amen. Thanks, Olivia. Man, I've got some free time coming up. I might sign up for, for Journey Kids. <laughs> That's not a joke. No, I mean, it, um, I do have some free time coming up. Uh, I don't know if, if you haven't been around the last few months or so, but we've been talking recently about how this summer I am going to be going on sabbatical. And I just wanted to maybe just share a quick update on how that's going to look and some of those things before we kind of get started, just so it, if you have any questions about that, things are, are clear. But, but on June 1st, I'll take a three-month sabbatical, which is simply just a, a rhythm that we've put in place uh, to just help uh, provide for just mental, physical, and emotional health for, for myself, but, but not out of like a dire need. I, I had a lot of people ask me when I announced that I'd be taking a sabbatical, like, are you okay? Like, is the church okay? And, and everything is fantastic. I am doing wonderful. Honestly, I am as excited about ministry at Journey Church as I have been in all of its seven years right now. And it actually, in some ways, for me to, to take a few months and, and to rest and to maybe go on some trips and to, to avoid <laughs> you people, I'm kidding, uh, for for a few months is actually this will be one of the hardest seasons for me to do that because I'm so excited to see what the Lord is doing in, in his church in this season and um, in some ways it'll be an opportunity for for me to, to trust the Lord and and honestly I think it'll be an opportunity for all of us just to kind of lean in to what God is doing in in this season and um, recently, over the last few weeks, I've been just having more conversations with uh, our staff and, and our pa- uh, pastors and, and even just some of those who are in leadership here. And, and the conversations have felt a little bit like, um, you know, when you're going on vacation and you need somebody to, to watch your house? Like, just you kind of give them just some house-sitting details, right? And, and there's really, like, two ways of doing that, two approaches to it. One, you can, I mean, you can create a list with check boxes and, it's like, details. Like, it's, it's indent and then there's a double indent and like you got all the notes like every single detail like and make sure they knew every nuance about your house even like how to make sure the ice maker works all the stuff right or you can just say hey here's a a few main things just don't break it right it's like just keep I just want the house to be there when you get back and in some ways I've been joking with my team and I'm just like I trust you and, and this part is t- totally serious. Like, I trust Olivia and Olivia and Mitchell and those of you are part, people who are playing parts in leadership with so much. But then I just said, just don't break the church. I, when I come back, I just, just don't break it. Um, but it's, it's interesting because, and I'm going to transition into talking about Jesus for a second, but it's interesting because where we find ourselves in John's gospel is, is that Jesus is in actually some ways kind of leaving some, some house-sitting instructions, if you will, for his disciples. Because if you've been here the last few weeks, you know that, um, that Jesus, at this point in John chapter 13, he's kind of transitioning away from just doing ministry into preparing his disciples to move and, and to live and, and to be without him. He kind of announced that as he sat down for a meal with them, and, and he, he sat down and they ate, and then he took each disciple one by one and and washed their feet and then in the middle of that meal is when we see Judas kind of exit stage left to go off and and betray Jesus and and it's in these moments that Jesus begins to just lay out like here's what you're going to need to do here's what it's going to need to be about it and he really he just keeps it pretty simple Jesus doesn't give them a, a detailed list although it's going to take him about four chapters to do this He doesn't give them just this detailed list of all the things that they need to do and be and be about over those when he's gone, but he gives them really just three main things, simple yet significant, 
and honestly pretty challenging. And those things would be, you know, remain loving. Remain in me. And then remain together. And that's what we're going to pick up this morning in, in a passage. Well, if we look carefully and if we listen carefully, we'll see all three of those things play out. Remain loving. Remain in me. And remain together. So if you happen to bring a Bible with you this morning, we're open up to John chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 31 to 38. If you didn't have to bring a Bible, they'll be up on the screen behind me. But this morning, would you uh, stand with me if you were willing and, and able as we just read from the Word of God this morning? John chapter 13 says, When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay my life down for you now. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay your life down for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. So it's almost immediately after Judas exits the room, he leaves, as John tells us, out into the dark, and he leaves Jesus and the disciples, and he leaves them alone. And it's in this moment that Jesus kind of pauses and begins to speak. And he says, okay, time is, is running out. Like, I am about to leave. I'm about to go. And he says, where I'm going to go, you cannot follow me. You cannot go where I'm going, which must have been somewhat confusing to the disciples because they didn't seem to know exactly what he meant by it or where he was going. And they had just spent the last three years following Jesus. He, he had been saying to them from the beginning, come and, and see, come and, and believe, come and follow me. And that's what they had been doing for the last three years, following Jesus as their rabbi, where they would listen to Jesus, where they would learn from Jesus, and where they had begun to do the things that Jesus was doing. And yet now he's saying, where I go, you will not be able to, to follow me. But in this moment, he knew he needed to help prepare them to prepare them for life uh, without him and, and in a sense life beyond him but what we'll learn soon enough is it's life with him in them but he wanted to prepare them by mentioning some of these things that I meant like that, that I point out these themes these instructions of remain loving remain in me and remain together and the first of that is when he says a new command I give you now it was interesting that Jesus would say a, a new command I give you because it doesn't sound very new. It must not have sounded very new to them because Jesus says, 
love, love one another. And, and that, that command isn't that new. They'd heard Jesus say something very similar in, in Matthew's gospel in chapter 22. Someone comes up to Jesus and says, what's the greatest command? And Jesus says, the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says, the second is similar. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. But this command, this new command was, was different It was different than the last command. It was to love the Lord your God. Or it was to love uh, one another. It was different because it was, um, the command wasn't just new, but it pointed to a new mode of love, a new depth of love, a new type of love. And even as we'll see it, a new recipient of this love. That is what was new in this command and it was new because this command, this responsibility, even this, even this requirement that Jesus was giving, it was not just to a person, but it was to, it was to them. Jesus says, a new command I give you. And he wasn't speaking to an individual in that moment. He wasn't speaking to Peter or to John or any specific disciple that was sitting in that room, but he was speaking to all of them. And if he was in the South, he was speaking to y'all. He was like, a new command I give y'all. But for us, we can even assume that he wasn't just talking to the disciples who sat in that room, but he was talking to anyone who would choose to follow him. It was to all y'all, right? It was like everyone who would follow him now and everyone who would follow him eventually. This was a, a direction. This was an instruction. This was a responsibility and a command that he was giving to all of them. And the command, as we've already read, it was love one another. Now, well, let's talk a minute about the word love, which we all know that it's, it's a love that's been just depleted of all of its meaning in, in our own culture and, and context, right? Uh, someone can say, I, I love my dog, and then in, in the next breath say, I love my wife, and then in the next breath say, I love Chick-fil-A, right? And, and we understand what they mean by all of those things, but we also realize that, that we hope that that, that that doesn't mean they, they treat each of those things or objects or people the same but they use the same word, they use the word love. Now the word that was used in this passage that's translated love is one that you might be familiar with, it's agapeo or agape, which is a a love that if you've hung around in the church for very long, you've probably heard talked about. But this love that is agape love, it's a love that calls for action. It's a love that calls for a choice. It's love that calls for a commitment, a commitment of of putting the well-being of someone else ahead of your own. It's a call for a self-sacrificing kind of love. You see, agape love is the love of God that we see throughout the biblical narrative. It's a love of God who would create humanity and when humanity disobeyed and, and took a different path, he would continue to, to love and to pursue in, in a commitment toward them for their well-being, eventually out of his own self-giving nature where he would actually send his own son in order to, to rescue a, a broken creation and to bring them back. This was the agape love that we see both in, in the story of God throughout the biblical narrative, but also in the life, death, and, and even resurrection of Jesus. And if you've been here over the last few weeks, you know that and you might get tired of it, but I've been using the same definition of love. I, it's a definition I got from an author and scholar, his name is Scott McKnight, who says that love, it's a rugged commitment, 
a rugged commitment to being with, for, and unto another. That's the type of love that we see in, in God. That's the agape kind of love that Jesus is talking about here when he says, love one another. Because in this moment, Jesus' command, it wasn't to, to feel love. And often when we think about love, we think about the, how we feel, we think about our emotions, we think about maybe even our infatuation of the things that we love. But Jesus' command, it wasn't to, to feel love. His command was to give love to one another. And so our question maybe at this moment is, is so who's the, the one another? If Jesus is giving a new command and he's giving this new command to his, his disciples, those who are following him, and he says, you... Y'all love one another. Who's the, the one another? Well, we see and understand it in the context of where, where Jesus found himself in this moment. Again, if, if you've been following along in, in this chapter of John 13, Jesus is having a meal with his disciples. And as we talked about last week, this meal, this shared meal together, it actually had significance. It was more than just a place to fill their bellies. It was actually an opportunity for them to demonstrate and to offer and to share this covenant commitment of loyalty and trust to one another. So as they sat at this table together with Jesus, they were covenanting to be loyal and to trust, uh, to trust Jesus, but not Jesus alone, but one another. Like the, the others around that table, this group of, of disciples, this group of Jesus followers were, were saying to one another in this meal, like, I am going to be committed to you with a, a rugged commitment as we just described. A term, one another, which in, in the Greek is alien, in the New Testament, it's used over a hundred times. And almost every time it's used, it's used in this in a, like a directive similar to Jesus where Jesus says love one another and when we see it used throughout the New Testament when we read it in the different letters that, that Paul wrote or that Peter would write or even in the words of Jesus himself it gives us a clear picture of what this love this rugged commitment of being with for and unto another what it actually can, can look like in real life I want to share with you just some, some examples out of scripture where this is where this is found and and behind me you'll see kind of more of a a picture of of some of these expressions but let me just share a few of these it says in the new testament accept one another romans 15 be at peace with one another in, in mark chapter 9 be devoted to one another in romans 12 bear one another's burdens bear with one another colossians 3 be kind and compassionate to one another. Be patient with one another. Be like-minded towards one another. Build up one another. Care for one another. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Confess your faults to one another. Comfort one another. Consider each one another better than yourselves. Encourage one another. Extort one another. Or sorry, exhort one another. <laughs> Man, I wish I had done that on purpose. That would have been even more funnier. But Exhort one another. Forgive one another. Greet one another. Honor one another. And there's more. In humility, consider one another better than yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Look to the interests of one another. Love one another, as Jesus said. Pray for one another. Serve one another. Show hospitality to one another. Speak truth 
to one another. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Submit to one another. This is just a sampling of the expression one another we find in the New Testament in these directives that paint a picture for us of what it looks like in, in real time, in real ways as we can demonstrate a love that is committed to being with, for, and unto one another. And I think, I think it's important for us in this moment, at this part of the story, to recognize that, that Jesus said this, this and gave this command almost immediately after Judas would walk out the door, after Judas would walk out into the darkness and he would walk out alone and by himself. And, and so I want to backtrack for just a minute, and I know that I've kind of talked about Judas a lot, and, and that seems maybe a little bit weird over the last couple weeks to keep bringing him back to the forefront. But I think there's a lot that we can learn about what took place in this moment. You see, what happened to Judas is something that I think is very similar to what happens to us often. What happened to Judas, I think, over a period of time was that he experienced a, a, a gap between what he expected and what he experienced with Jesus. Like, he had expected Jesus to come in as a warrior who would defeat Rome and would set like, the people of God in, in their rightful place. But what he got, what he experienced was a foot washer. What he got was someone who would wanted to come and to serve and, and to offer his, his life. And, and what happens to us and what, when we have that gap between what we expect and what we experience, and I think what happened to Judas is we begin to fill in that gap with, with a story. Like the story that I'm telling myself of what's going on in, in this gap is, is I think what happened to Judas. And he began to, to see Jesus not for who he was but for who he thought he should be. And in some ways, it led him down a path after a number of choices that, would, that he couldn't turn back from. And we can get caught in that same, sort of, that same sort of truth. And the problem is that when we experience a similar gap, when we experience a gap between what we expect and what we experience, the, the story that we tell ourselves, it's rarely filled with the whole truth. Maybe sometimes not even any truth at all. And often it, it, it's not believing the best about a person or a situation. And I'll give you just kind of maybe a simple and, and somewhat silly example. But I pick up my, my daughter from the high school uh, most days of the week. And if you have not had the opportunity to drive into the high school parking lot at, at 320 to pick up a student, you, you need to go try that. You'll be blessed Deep within your soul, it'll, it'll be one of the, the best experiences of your life. And I'm mostly kidding at this point, but you pull in and people are, are just not following the, the rules of humanity <laughs> for the most part, like just like social order and, and kindness and just thoughtfulness. They just park wherever they think is the best spot to park for them and they don't really care how many cars could get fit in there or how many cars are behind them or, or letting other people first. And, and what I find myself doing is telling myself a story of like what this person in front of me is, is thinking or doing or accomplishing and, and all of it is, is negative. Luckily the windows are up and the radio's loud so I can kind of yell and, and make up a story and, and just get mad and upset and, and nobody will know, right? Like the, those choices and those decisions, those phrases, they just stay in my car. I'm not, no one else is impacted by them. And that's just a, a silly example of, of how, like, what I would expect from somebody, 
and what I actually experience in real time with them can lead me to, to believe not the best in them, but usually the worst. And then I just have this running dialogue, this running story of like, why in the world would you do this right now? And that might, might be silly or, or funny, but what, what about when that happens with like our spouse? What about when that happens with, with our, our kids? What about when that happens with our coworkers? What about when that happens with our, our neighbors? What about when that happens with people in the church? What about when that happens with other followers of Jesus? What about when that happens with other churches? And to be honest, like what about when that happens with Jesus? When the things that I am expecting are not the things that I'm experiencing, am I just going to fill in that gap with a story that is manufactured in my mind, or will I somehow have allow the truth to come in? And, and here, I think Jesus is giving them solution because he saw what happened to Judas, and he's like, he doesn't want to see that happen to the rest of them. So he says, love one another. Be ruggedly committed to being with, for, and unto one another. Like speaking to truth to one another, submitting yourselves to one another, encouraging one another, being devoted to one another. All of these things that we read in that list, like those, those things would help point people back to the truth. You see, it's, it's the idea, the concept of, of following Jesus together. Like this type of filling in the gap with truth and wholeness, and it can happen in, in the context of, of relationships with with one another. I experience this almost on, on a weekly basis when I, when I meet with a couple of friends and, and I share with them just the, the state of my soul and, and the areas of life where I'm either having struggles or, or successes in there and, and they can actually speak truth into my life. They're like, I'm not sure you're seeing the whole truth in that situation. Then they have the freedom because they have the relationship to be able to speak truth and, and love into that space because we are committed to one another to being with, for, and unto one another, and to following Jesus in this relationship with each other. You see, when Jesus gave this command to his disciples to love one another, like, this is what he meant. Like, this, it's not up there anymore, but these are the things that he was meaning, because these are the ways that Jesus actually demonstrated love to his disciples. These are the ways that Jesus continues to demonstrate love to us. Because the next thing he says, he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. You see, unlike us, the disciples don't have a dictionary. They don't have Google. They don't have, they don't get to just look up the definition of, of love and then learn to, to put it into practice. But they have something even better. They had got to watch the life and love of Jesus on earth as if, as if it was in heaven and to be able to model that, their life after his defining of love, a love that he would require of them, a, a sacrificial love, a self-giving love, an others-focused love. In fact, later, John, who wrote this gospel, he would write a, a letter, right, in 1 John. And in 1 John chapter 3, Verse 16, he, he expresses it this way. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and for our sisters. You see, this is a love that the disciples in that room, that they had watched like in real time over the last three years. They had felt it themselves 
but they had watched Jesus just love on people, healing people, caring for people, seeing people, speaking to people. And then earlier that night, they tangibly felt the love of Jesus as he walked to each one after he took off his, his outer clothing and put on a towel and knelt before each one and, and washed their feet. They tangibly felt the love of Jesus as he cleaned their feet, which set the stage for what he would do for them and what they would witness in the, the next day as Jesus would go to the cross to, to wash them from all of the filth that he couldn't wash by just washing their feet, but washing them clean from their sin and their guilt and their shame. They were witnesses to this type of, of self-giving love. It was a love that would then, they would just know, a love that they had experienced. And don't miss the significance of this because before Jesus commanded them, commanded love from them, he infused love into them. And it's that infusion of love that would change everything. And we read that in John 3, 16 where it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, he infused his only son so that, that no one would perish but we'd all would have everlasting life. There was just a, a, an infusion of love into the world. And Jesus says it's by this, by this love, that everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, what Jesus commanded was not like a, a holy huddle, right? He it, it wasn't, it wasn't trying to get people to find a, a safe spot to hunker down and, and to be uh, with all of those that are just simply like-minded. He wanted that for them, but it wasn't a, a place for safety, and it wasn't a, a place to set up like a, a battalion for, for war either. Rather, in, in what Jesus was doing was he was establishing a, what I would call like a, a practice field of sorts, a practice field for, for following Jesus into the world, loving and, and being with, for, and unto the world. Because I think if we're honest, I think we realize that, that most people who aren't following Jesus aren't peeking into the church looking to see how we're loving one another. Most people, if they're, if they're peeking into the church, they're just maybe looking for like shelter, maybe a, a bathroom. This morning someone came in to look at some of the artwork, right? They aren't, they aren't coming to the church looking for, for answers at this point. And they often aren't coming to the church looking for love. But this, this love, if we learn to love one another as Jesus loved us, and that love, it, it takes learning, it takes following Jesus, it takes practice, it takes repetition, it takes doing it over and over and over again. But eventually loving one another won't be something that we're just simply commanded to do. It'll actually be something that we just do by nature, by a natural response. It'll almost be like just a, a holy habit that it's the way that we now exist. It's the way that we now operate. It's the way that we now live because of Jesus' infusion of love into us and our, our willingness to, to practice and put into practice this kind of love as we love one another. And this, this is when everyone will see and know that you follow Jesus. Not because they're watching to see how we're, how we're loving and be impressed, but because this kind of love, the kind of love that Jesus infuses into us, once, once it's filled us, it, it, by nature, it's just meant to overflow out of us. 
It's a love that can't be contained. It just simply will leak out of us and leak onto those who are around us and nearby us. And this is when they will see and experience Jesus through us. John Wesley put it this way. He says, where there is love, there is the whole image of God. You see, this love, this kind of love, it might start by uh, loving one another, but it doesn't end there. It ends as we take this whole image of God, the presence of Jesus, when we take it wherever we go. So as the worship team comes up, I want to just close by asking you just a couple questions. These are questions I'm asking myself in these days. Questions are this. Who, who are you following Jesus with? Like, who are those, those one another's for you? And, and if you aren't sure, then what kind of next steps might you be able to take to create that, that small circle of people that you might be able to learn to love one another with and from. And then the question I'm asking myself now, if, if, if this is the place, if this is the, the practice field, like which of these, and that picture will come back up on the screen, which of these do I need to practice in the days ahead? Which of these do I need to, to pray and talk with Jesus about? Maybe I need, even need to confess in ways that I haven't been doing some of this. But then put into practice, like this is the way that I need to be loving one another. These are the things that the Lord is leading me into in the days ahead. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that you define love for us. Not with a word, not with a bunch of words, but with your life. You define what, what love looks like for us and you've asked us, you've commanded us, you've given us this instruction and this requirement to, to love one another. Lord, we admit that we struggle with that. Lord, our tendency is to love ourselves and, and to want the best and most for ourselves. But the type of love that you're asking us to live and to give, is a, it's a self-giving love. It's a self-sacrificing love. It's a love that puts the well-being and the best interest of others ahead of ourselves. It's the love that you demonstrated for us, that you've given to us. And it's, it's the type of love that, that you asked for us, from us, Lord. So we ask that you would give us the, the strength and the courage to be able to love in these ways. Lord, would you reveal to us, even in this moment, a new way that we might offer love to, to one another, maybe to someone in this room, or maybe to someone in our family, maybe to someone in our, our circle of friends or in our, our workspace or living community, whatever it might be. Lord, would you teach us and show us to help us to, to put into practice this way of Jesus, this way of, of living, and this way of loving. And, and Lord, we know that you give us your Holy Spirit, that you infuse, you infuse us with yourself, with your love, and able to, in order to equip us and enable us to love in that way. So would you continue to do that today and the days ahead, Lord, for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name.